Most of you, in fact, almost all of you know that Eddie and Mary are gone. Uh, Eddie's holding a meeting in Stockton, California, and will be back uh, tomorrow. Uh, but we want to continue to pray for their safety and, as, as well as the success of that meeting. We're also nearing the end of our study that's called Why We Believe. And in fact, next week will be our final class in the series. It's been a series that's been divided into three parts. This is, of course, the third part. And in this third part, we have been dealing with reasons to believe in the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. Last week, we saw statements from those who were living near the time of the completion of the New Testament. And those statements that we saw last week showed Jesus to be a real person. It's a shame that we even have to deal with that or to defend it, but there are and have been people who have asserted that Jesus didn't really exist, that there was no Jesus. But these people whose statements we saw affirmed that he did exist and they were not necessarily friends or supporters of Christianity. In fact, some of them were enemies of Christianity. And yet they wrote of him as being a real person. Now, they had nothing, nothing to gain by that misrepresentation, saying Jesus was real, if it were such a misrepresentation. Why would they write what they wrote if it were not true? In fact, they would have been benefited more to say Jesus wasn't real if they were enemies, but they didn't. And so I think those statements have to be considered significant. Next week's lesson, the final lesson that when Eddie will be teaching, will deal with the miracles of Christ. And, and we will see that no man no human man could do what Jesus did. And that had to be a statement of his divinity. Today we're going to spend some time looking at the claims of Christ. And we will not be following the lesson sheet exactly, but I do encourage you to keep it handy and you'll see most of the references here. And I want to encourage you to study it if you haven't done it already and, and to benefit from it. What I want to do this morning is to ask and answer some questions. And the first question is, did Jesus really make any claims that could be construed as him saying that he was divine? That he had something that ordinary people wouldn't have? And the answer of that to that, of course, is yes. A number of his claims are listed on your lesson sheet, and we're going to look at some of them in, in some detail. And you can start, and if you have your Bible, I hope you do have your own Bible with you today. If you don't, there are a few Bibles available. But we're going to start in John's account of the Lord's life. And in chapter 3, when a Pharisee named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, to talk to him. He made this statement in verse 2 
as John records it. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I don't know exactly how Nicodemus is really saying what he's saying as far as his conviction that Jesus is God. He does acknowledge that he comes from God and that no one could do what Jesus did unless he was from God. And so, at least, at the least, he's saying, we know you have come from God. God has sent you. God is behind you. God is with you. But the Lord's response to him was to tell him about the new birth. And and he went this far in instructing him in verse 5, most assuredly, notice, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now in saying that, Jesus is saying something different than what a Jew would believe about being in God's kingdom, that is, God's rule under the Old Covenant. What made you a part of the Old Covenant? Well, being born into a Jewish family. That's all it took. When you were born into a Jewish family, there you were. You were a Jew. But Jesus is saying something different. He's not saying you need to be born into a Jewish family. He said you have to be born again. You have to be born of water and of the Spirit or you can't enter God's rule, God's kingdom. And later in the conversation, verse 12, Jesus says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man. And then some of us using the King James or New King James probably have who is in heaven. There is textual criticism that says that shouldn't be there. I'm not going to debate that one way or the other. I'm just going to say Jesus said no one could say what I'm saying And he's obviously alluding to himself unless they were from heaven, unless they had heavenly ability or authority. Look at John 6 for a moment. John 6. We're going to begin at verse 27. John 6, 27. Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, What what shall you do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then? that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? I think it's obvious from that conversation that Jesus is saying, you need to believe on me. You need to believe in me. When you skip down to verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Those are bold claims. I'm the bread of life. I sustain 
what is really important, that's life. Then verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. I came from heaven, Jesus said. But He doesn't call Himself an angel. And so if He comes from heaven, and He is the bread of life, is He not saying, I am divine? I am God? Verse 40, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up in the last day. Everlasting life. Believing in Me. Now, if Jesus were a mere mortal, simply a human, why would you have divine life to believe in a human? Just a human. And obviously, as you know, John 6, many people stumble over this. In fact, sadly... Uh, verse 66 would say, from that time many of the disciples went back and walked with Him no more. They quit Jesus. They couldn't, they couldn't accept that because they couldn't see, that doesn't mean it's not real, they couldn't see that He was the bread of life. And as we pointed out many times, as you've heard in many Bible classes, that partly is because the Jews had such a misshapen conviction about what the Messiah would really be. They weren't looking for a Savior spiritually, they were looking more for a Savior physically, weren't they? Somebody who could deliver them from the oppression of Rome, someone who would enhance their economy, somebody who would be elected President of the United States. Um, just, you know, sort of like we believe sometimes. But that's what they were looking for. And Jesus offers something different and they wouldn't accept. Look at chapter 7. Chapter 7 of John, verses 28 and 29. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Now notice, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus claimed to have personal, intimate knowledge of the Father. That, that was a very strong claim. We're going to see in just a moment how offensive that was to many Jews. In John 6, if you go back a moment, to John 6, and this time verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except who, he who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. Now, Jesus claimed to have seen the Father. And that's not just about the Father or some representation of the Father. I've seen the Father. And since no mortal could see the Father and live, according to what God said to Moses in Exodus 33, you know, Exodus wanted to see God, and he gave him a theophany of God or a picture of God, something that he could take with him. But he told him very clearly, no man can see God and live. No man can see God and live. So if Jesus said, I've seen the Father, he couldn't be a man because he couldn't have seen him and lived. So he's really saying he is not mortal, but divine. 
Listen to John uh, 12. Look at John 12. In verses 44 and 45. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, notice, he who sees me sees him who sent me. I don't think that's not a bold claim. Look at chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Talking to his disciples. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Now wait a minute. From this time forward, you can say that you not only know God, but that you've seen God. But wait a minute. The, the, the Father, in the appearance of the Father, what's he saying? Philip says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? He's claiming to be God, isn't he? He is claiming that if you reject him, you reject God. Any religion that does not accept Jesus as fully God is not a religion from God. If the Jehovah Witnesses say he is a God, but not the God, then that's not God's religion. You can tell right away. You don't have to go through all their teaching. That's enough. In any world religion who says, well, yes, he was a great prophet, or we acknowledge him as a spokesman from God in a particular period of time, but not God, that can't be God's religion. Because Jesus himself says, I'm God. Look at John 5. John 5, beginning verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, that is according to them, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. See, they understood exactly what Jesus was claiming. They said, you know, he broke the Sabbath, which was foolish on their part. He didn't. But also, because he said that God was his Father, they said, that, that means you're saying you're equal with God. You're God. And they wanted to kill him because of it. Look at John 10. Beginning at verse 30. I and my Father are one. Now Jesus, I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Jesus is not saying we have the same purpose or we're really united in what we're trying to I and the Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why would they do that? Because they understood what he was saying. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown from you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered, saying, 
for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. They understood exactly what Jesus was claiming. And they didn't believe it. They didn't accept it. That's their privilege. But they understood what Jesus was claiming. I am God. Now, if you go back to John 8, and you may have been waiting for this one, to me, perhaps the most dramatic claim that Jesus made was this one. John 8, beginning verse 56. Your father, speaking to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, notice, definitely, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, past tense, I am. There's a couple of things about that. I am, of course, is present. He was, he's gone, I am. But I am before Abraham even was. Now, what is even more significant about that, of course, and most of your Bibles, I would assume, have this in verse 58, that the words I am are, are capitalized. I am. And, and why are they capitalized? Because Jesus is not just talking about the tense of his being always here. He is saying that he bears the same special sacred name as the Father revealed to Moses. Remember Exodus 3? God appears in a burning bush wants Moses to go talk to his people and deliver them, and Moses you know, doesn't really think he can do that. He's not confident. Who shall I say is sending you? Tell them that I am is sending you. And, and that's what we call the tetragrammaton. That's a long word. But it's four Hebrew letters. And, and they're really, without some help, they're not translatable. But, but the Jews understood that it's the name from which we get the name Jehovah. I am the one who exists. And, and when God said to Moses, I am, he is saying to him, I'm always. I'm always. I didn't have a beginning. I don't have an ending. I am from eternity to eternity. And that's what Jesus said about him, himself. Before Abraham even came on the scene, I am. I think the Jews certainly understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. They wanted to kill him. All of these are from just one account. John's account. We could look at other accounts, but but that's not really necessary. So the, the, the question first that we ask is, did Jesus make any claims that would lead you to believe he thought he was divine? The answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely. People in this day understood exactly what Jesus was saying. That's why they wanted to kill him. They didn't want to believe. But question two then has to be, are the claims authentic? Anybody can claim to be God. 
They understood he claimed to be God, but are those claims authentic? We need to be sure we understand what authentic is. It means literally, by definition, worthy of acceptance or belief based on fact. And so what we're saying is, when Jesus said, I'm God, is that a fact? Is that really authentic? We're talking about something being actually and exactly as it is claimed to be. He claimed to be, the, to be God. Is that exactly right? Is that totally right? Well, the nature of the Lord's claims are such that in order to make them, He would have to have the authority to make them, to be authentic. The most common Greek word in the New Testament for authority appears about 102 times, and it could be translated power. But it means the strength or ability to command or enforce obedience. Did Jesus have the right to command, to tell people what they should do? We understand authority, I'm sure. A man in a uniform tells you that you need to move your car because it's parked where it shouldn't be parked. And you move it because he's a policeman. And he has authority to tell you, move your car. Now, we know the writers of the New Testament believe that Jesus' claims were authentic. We're still in John. Look at John 1. Very familiar words. John 1, the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. I, I suppose somebody could misunderstand that unless... They just kept reading John 1 because when they would get to verse 14, they would read this. Now remember, he said the Word was God. He says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld His glory. We, we knew He was God. Look at the first chapter of Colossians. Colossians 1. What did Paul the Apostle think about Jesus? Verse 16. He would say, For by Him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created. Now wait a minute. If if Jesus was involved in the creation, He has to be God. Unless He's a created being, like some false religious teach. But... Paul believed by him all things were created that are in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. There is no doubt that Paul believed that Jesus was God. Look at the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1. Again, the beginning of the book. Chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir over all things, and through whom He made the world. 
one more place for just a moment. Philippians 2, that beautiful passage. I know how much you love this passage. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and has given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those on earth. Now listen, and, and I'll talk about this in just a moment. Worship belongs only to God. We don't, we don't worship men. We don't worship good men, great men. We don't worship them. We worship God. And Paul says every knee should bow to him. Did he demonstrate that authority? We're asking the question, were his claims authentic? Has to have authority for them to be authentic. Did he demonstrate that? Well, you're going to see next week, as Eddie teaches the class, you're going to see next week some of the miracles that Jesus performed, and they certainly authenticate his power. And, and Jews marveled at what they saw when the lame could walk and when the blind could see and the deaf could hear. They knew that the person doing that, or should have known at least, that the person doing that couldn't be a mere mortal. Question three. Were his claims consistent? That is, did Jesus claim something and then somehow show that that really wasn't what he believed or what he should believe? Or when he said something, was it backed up? By his behavior. Well, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and, and, and I alluded to this just a moment ago, Matthew 4, he said, God alone is to be worshipped. Matthew 4, verse 10. But, but look for just a moment in Matthew, if you will, at chapter 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8. I want you to notice verse 2. Behold, a leper came, what? And worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you make me. Jesus did not say, no, 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 don't worship me. Remember in the book of Revelation, John wants to fall down and worship an angel. Angel said, no, 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 don't get up, don't worship me, worship God. Well, this man falls down before Jesus and worships him, and Jesus does not say, no, 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 get up, I'm just a man. I don't, I'm not claiming they, <laughs> they wanted to worship us, but a number of times in India I've had people fall down before me. And I just say, get up, get up, I'm just like you. Because I am. And, and Jesus would have had to say that. Look at chapter 9, verse 18. Matthew 9, 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. Look at chapter 14, Matthew 14, verse 33. Matthew 14 is the story here about the boat being in the Galilean storm and the 
disciples are fearful. Jesus comes walking to them. Peter wants to be brave and come walk to Jesus, nearly drowns. Peter is saved by Jesus. Calms the storm. And then those, in verse 33, who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You're the Son of God. That means you're God. Well, when a paralytic was brought to Jesus in Matthew 9, Jesus said to him, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. That's verse 2, Matthew 9, verse 2. His critics, of course, immediately jumped on that and they accused him of blasphemy. And they said, only God can forgive sins. You're saying to this man, your sins are forgiven, and only God can do that. Well, look at Matthew 9. And let's look at the Lord's response to what they said to him, beginning at verse 4. Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And we are not surprised that verse 7 says, He arose and departed to his house. Jesus said, Get up, you're healed. And he said, Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or you're healed? If I were a man, could I say to this man, Get up and take your bed and go home, and it happened? His divine power matched his proclamations that he was the Son of God. I could give you other examples. You don't need them, I don't think. But here is a summary, I think, of what I'm saying in this question. Jesus never made a claim that he could not or would not back up by his own power and practice. No one. No one was ever honestly able to say that Jesus really didn't make claims that were true. Nobody could do that. And, and, and they might have found other ways to criticize him of blasphemy or, or doing these powerful works by the power of Beelzebub, but they never said he didn't do those things. He didn't have the power of miracles. You'll, you'll hear more about that next week. Nobody ever claimed that. They couldn't. My, after all, you raise a man from the dead, how are you going to say, well, you didn't really do that? On two occasions, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, here's, here's where I want to end today. What is our conclusion about his claims? I think we've seen enough, plenty enough, to be certain that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and as such God Himself. Now, I'm assuming that everybody here is well-versed enough to know that when I keep saying Jesus is God, I'm saying He's a part of that Holy Trinity, that divine Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. They're all God. None of them are lesser God or more God. They're all God. I think a very fine preacher and student of the Bible once said, and it really 
made me think. He said, I think our people believe in a progression of gods. God the Father is the greatest. Son is a step below Him. The Holy Spirit's even a step below the Son. That's not the picture the Bible presents. The Bible presents all of them as God. Now, is that hard for us to understand? Yes. Because we don't understand in our limited way how three could be one and that they're all God and that none are deficient in Godness. But that's our fault. That's not their fault. Because their, their reality is God the Father, God the Son, God the Son, they're all God. And you, don't, you don't take one above the other or make one less than the other. That's not what the Bible says. So anyway, Jesus claimed to be God. And we have to decide. There are only two possibilities, two choices. He is God or he's not God. I don't know how you could say there was anything. He, you couldn't say, well, he may be some God. No, you're not. Whoever heard of some God, part God, you're God or you're not God. If he is not God, let's talk about the negative first. If he's not God, here's what we have to decide. Did he claim to be God knowing that he wasn't God? You, you realize the implication of that? That makes him a deceiver, a liar, a cheater. If he knew he wasn't God and he said he was God, then he's the worst who ever lived. But you also have to ask yourself, what, did he, what would he have gained by deceiving people? Did he get rich? No. Did he have enemies? Yes. Would he go through the agony that was his on the cross by crucifixion knowing I've just been lying? I'm willing to let them hang me on a cross and hang there for hours and be in agony and die even though I know that everything I've been saying is not true. A number of years ago there was a Jew named Schoenfield who wrote a little book called The Passover Plot. And he had the audacity, the gall to say that Jesus manufactured the events that caused his death. Now, I'll tell you who's really crazy. Schoenfeld is crazy. And that's the second possibility, of course, is that if Jesus claimed to be God and thought he was God but wasn't God, was he deluded mentally? Was he crazy? Well, you know, even skeptics didn't argue this, did they? They didn't say he's crazy. In fact, when people heard him in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, they were astonished at his teaching because this wasn't the raving of a lunatic. This was a man who taught them with authority that exceeded the authority of the scribes and Pharisees. They weren't Scribes and Pharisees were just book learners and pulling stuff out. Jesus spoke as if he were, as he was, the author of the things from God. One critic of Christianity called him a man of surpassing greatness. Well, the other possibility of Jesus isn't God and he's 
not deceiving and he's not mentally deficient, did the writers who recorded these things, did they attribute them to Jesus knowing that he really never said those things? Did they just write a bunch of hooey? Well, that would make them charlatans too. But again, we recognize that as followers of Christ, many of those people gave their lives. They died. Do you think a man would write something false and then he's faced with the possibility of death and says, yeah, I'll go ahead and die for that. People don't die for what they think is false. They die for what they think is true, even if they are deluded. The other conclusion, he is God. He was and is and always will be exactly what he claimed to be. And if he is God, then we must treat everything that he teaches as God's word to us. And our demand is that we be obedient to it. I want to share one final thing here before our time is up. I mentioned this little book before by Hugo McCord, written a long, long time ago from heaven or from men. There's a statement in it that I felt like I really needed to share with you. If Jesus had not claimed his deity, his character would have claimed it for him. No mere human has approached the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus. Eyewitnesses said they beheld his glory the glory of the only one of his nature, full of grace and truth. If he was not divine, his character remains forever unexplainable. How do you explain Jesus if he really wasn't divine? How can you explain him? And then he has this quotation from Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> not a Christian, and, and not a, a great person in many ways, but but listen, Napoleon was right on this. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. Napoleon knew that there was something extraordinary, unique, one of a kind in Jesus. Because he was God in the flesh, but not a mere man. I'm going to close with a prayer and then... You'll be dismissed and we'll be meeting for worship in this sort of life. Father, we are so grateful for the record that we have to be able to read of the claims of Christ. And we know, Father, that uh, in your wisdom, you made sure that men would have an opportunity to know exactly who Jesus is. We're thankful for what he claimed and the truth of it and that he is what he claimed to be. And we know, Father, that we have salvation only through him and the gift of his blood in our behalf. And so through him, Father, we pray to you today with thankful hearts that we can affirm to our world, Jesus is God. And we pray this through him. Amen. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate your presence. We'll be